Welcome to Talk in Troy, the show where daily Trojan staffers get together to talk USC athletics. On today's show, Chris Bibona, Kyle Frankel, and Jack Hallinan join the show to recap USC's huge win over UCLA on Saturday. Guys, I don't even know where to start with this game, but just general reactions, like how are we feeling? I know I my voice is a little raspy right now. I lost my voice screaming, rooting for our guys. So just where, where do we start here? Yeah, I know. I, I woke up on Sunday with a, a bit of a bit of a sore throat from all the yelling at the stadium, but wouldn't wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, that was definitely for me the best uh, sporting event I've ever been to. One of the most exciting games I've ever seen and absolutely ever seen in person. And I mean, as a USC fan and USC student, just nothing else really to say except just ecstatic with how that went. I think after after that first uh, first quarter, we were all a bit bit shaky vibes were a bit off but team stormed back in that second quarter really got him back in it going down 20 21 at half was a great sight to see after the start and uh just really happy after that awesome yeah i mean the the 14 to 0 early lead really shook things up and it made me a little nervous you got the, the crowd was going the ucla faithful did show up for this game I, I really thought that the narrative has always been they never make it out to the rose bowl right but for this one man they took off some tarps, made it full capacity, 70,000, I believe, and they said it was a sellout, and it was definitely a sellout. It was loud. There was a lot of blue, but there was also a lot of red, too. I felt like our our little section there, it was solid red. We kept it loud. The band did an amazing job, kept us in the game. The energy was high when we came back, when we held the lead all the way throughout to the final whistle. It was beautiful. So just a quick recap of, of the events Obviously, the Bruins, they took an early 14 to nothing lead. The game was within one at the half. A couple missed field goals for our guys, but it kept it close. USC, they obviously took the lead in the third quarter, 27-24. UCLA, they did have a couple late scores, but USC hung on 48-45. Final score, super electric. The four-minute interception, the crowd went wild. All the trash talking. Team went crazy. They came to our section, rooted us on, came, went into the locker room, rang the bell. A lot of energy. Yeah, I mean, it was, the, it was the kind of game you almost can't script. It was so amazing. Um, just, it had all of the elements of an amazing sporting event. Packed stadium that was loud and ready for the game. You had kind of a comeback narrative with USC going down 14, even though we're kind of unfortunate to be down that way. I mean, the offense was still putting yards on the board. They just couldn't convert once they got into the red zone. And UCLA was converting their, uh, their drives. And then by the end of that game, it almost felt like neither team could afford not to score. Neither defense was really putting in uh, any stops, and you just had to get a touchdown. Otherwise, even though we were up 10, you know, intermittently in that third and fourth quarter, I would never felt confident unless we, we got the touchdown on that drive. So just to have the Corey Foreman interception to, to seal the game when I was not confident we were going to seal that game, it's just amazing. Like, you can't make that up. It's something you're never going to forget. Exactly. That that Corey Foreman interception was just storybook on like so many different levels. And like going in, we talked about last week how we all thought it was going to be that shootout type of game where it's just whoever's got that ball last, nobody can stop anyone. And there were those two interceptions at, at halftime and Caleb had a bit of an uncharacteristic interception in the first quarter. But those turnovers really, other than that, nobody could stop anyone. It felt like everyone was scoring at will, both teams. And when, when we turned that ball over down at the end and DTR uh, took the field with about two minutes to go from his own 20, I, I did not have a good feeling. I was like, this is just please hold him to a field goal here. Let's take overtime. Uh, let's just go to overtime and try, try to see if, if uh, USC can pull this out. But 
seeing Corey Foreman to a guy that has went from being the number one recruit in the country to a really disappointing freshman year and struggling with injuries and not really seeing the playing time he, he wanted and a lot of people expected out of him and not getting that performance that you expect from a number one recruit to see him come up with the biggest play in the biggest game for USC in years, let alone this season, was uh, for me a really, I, I think, a really cool moment, not just for him, but for the whole program. And you could see it on all the players' faces when they were celebrating with him after, on Lincoln Riley's face celebrating with him after. Just an insane moment for that specific guy to come up with that specific play in the game. I really like that because the narrative, I think, that play is going to be immortalized in in the USC lore, in the Crosstown rivalry lore. But really, this game, in my opinion, this was Caleb Williams' best game of his career ever. Like, this this was insane. He had complete consistency, complete dominance, but also, like, th- those plays that made ESPN and made national highlights, the, the throw on the run, running left, slid it in there. It was, it was beautiful, and he couldn't have been any more precise, and he couldn't have been any more clutch. I think if there was been one criticism of Caleb so far. It's been that maybe in the clutch, maybe playing from behind. It hasn't been as sharp. We saw it in Oregon State. We saw it a little bit. He, he did a very good against Utah, but this game, I think, exercised that demon of any type of doubt that Caleb Williams might have had. And man, for him to have 503 yards from scrimmage, that this is his marquee game. This is his signature USC game. I think I said it on the, the last show. Like, Caleb Williams is going to have a signature game, a signature moment, and this win, this stamps it. No, and you talk about, like, everyone always says, like, the Heisman moments and guys have their Heisman games. Like, this was his Heisman moment. It, whether or not he wins it, like, this was his moment, his USC moment. And for a guy, too, that's, like, been in the Heisman race all season long, but I don't think has really gotten the tension he deserves because of that. East Coast bias and the USC games are always on weight. People aren't always seeing them, not playing the greatest competition always. And as you said, even in that Utah game, he balled out, but still didn't come away with the win. So you don't get that same narrative after. For him to come out, have this type of game, he's absolutely, if you don't have him in your top two for Heisman voting right now, you're either not paying attention or you're lying because he is absolutely one of the two best players in the country. I mean, this season, The Athletic has literally been tracking week by week Heisman votes amongst the the votership, right? And this is the week that Caleb Williams took first place for the first time this season. And it is a testament to how he's put his head down and carried this team forward and provided in the big moments that he finally has gotten kind of the credit he he deserved in the last 48 hours or so for this insane game. 100%. I want to discuss really the X's and O's, what this game came down to, because so much happened. You could get lost in the numbers so easily with a box score here. But I think in our predictions for this game, Kyle, it, it was UCLA is going to run a lot. And they, they still did. And Charbonnet, he had, I believe, 23 touches, still had over 100 yards from scrimmage and passing touchdown. And even that is mediocre game for his standard. He's, he's getting like almost 200 yards from scrimmage week in, week out. Dorian Thompson-Robinson took over on the ground, scored from the ground as well. That was fine. But, and we already touched on this, DTR's turnovers. If he doesn't throw three interceptions, if we don't force those, we could lose this game by multiple scores. The defense is one of the biggest factors in the win, without a doubt, I think. Turnovers, it's always a turnover game. If, if you lose the turnover ratio, your odds are not looking good. I think given the circumstance, given 
how we started off on that game, 14-0, it could have gotten so out of hand, but the turnovers, it's a big swing. It's a 7-0 swing at best, and we took advantage of that three times. It's almost, it almost feels harsh to say Dorian Thompson-Robinson kind of lost UCLA this game because he is the, is the soul of this UCLA offense. He makes them move and do everything almost. But it's also true. Like, if he does not throw that interception to Corey Foreman, they are going to keep marching down the field, and they're most likely going to at least get a field goal to send this to overtime. And for any offense to put up 45 points is awesome. But it, it literally just came down to which quarterback was going to make more mistakes, even if it's a very small number, and which defense is better positioned to capitalize on those mistakes. Yeah, and everyone's going to look at that those that last interception too, which obviously biggest play of the game, like it should be the highlight. But you look at all the turnovers, they were all huge swings. And turnovers usually, like they mean a lot. But even those turnovers at halftime, like to go that second interception especially, going into halftime down four, maybe down eight, rather than going in down one is or not even going in down eight, going in down seven or ten rather than going in down one is a huge difference just for the momentum of the team, for the way the rest of the game plays out. And I also want to, you said, like, which quarterback makes those less mistakes. And again, let's give some credit to Caleb Williams for responding to that, too. A guy who, that first interception, very uncharacteristic of him, just didn't see the the linebacker trailing into the route and cut him off, jumped in, made a great play on the ball. But a play that he does not make often, like his third interception of the year. And I think out of all his interceptions, the most of him just not seeing a guy and kind of throwing it right to him. And to have that go down 14 nothing after making two trips to the red zone, getting zero points, and then turning it over like that, to respond in the way that he did in that second quarter especially was nuts. To go out there after not necessarily the worst quarter of the season, but one of your worst quarters of the year and one of the biggest games and to have just those tough moments and respond like that and come out, make a statement and go into the half down one point was insane. And for me, that was the game. And the big plays at the end are huge, but to have that momentum swing right before half changed the entire game, changed the atmosphere of the stadium. The USC crowd was silent after that first quarter and by halftime they were buzzing. One other thing I really wanted to touch on because one of the biggest stories coming into the game is what the hell is USC going to do without Travis Dye? And here we go. Our senior guy, Austin Jones, comes in, 21 carries, 120 yards, two tutties. That's all you could ask for a guy like that, to come in, short notice, and be like, hey, you got the job now? Boom. There was a lot of discourse around who's going to fill the shoes. And I felt like in all the media I'm involved in here at USC, everyone's like, oh, Relique Brown, like he's he's ready. He's going to do it like the freshman from modern day. Like give him that opportunity. He had the Heisman pose earlier against against Rice in, in week one and all this hype. But I'm like, give some respect to our senior because I knew Lincoln Riley wasn't going to put the ball in, in Relique Brown's hands. A freshman in that big of a game. I knew that the, a senior would get those opportunities and for him to come out and lead the run game in the manner that he did in a game that not only replicates the type of play we saw from Die, but maybe even a little bit better. That for me, that is it's one of the bigger stories on offense, because if we don't get the ground game going, we, we know that could affect the pass in a way for him to step up like that in the biggest game of his life. On short notice, knowing that he has to fill in the shoes of one of the biggest team leaders on the Trojan team, I respect the hell out of that. He hasn't wasted an opportunity this season. Um, Against Colorado last week, he was also awesome uh, when Travis Dye left the game. And, you know, it's it's an awesome thing 
uh, as a fan of this team to see how deep we go at receiver and at running back. And I think there are like six or seven receivers who we are confident throwing to and have been almost all season long. You see early in the season, obviously Jordan Addison and Mario Williams are running the show, but as the season has gone on, we've seen guys like Kyle Ford, like Michael Jackson emerge. And they've just been incredible. And you feel like with Lincoln and the rest of this offensive staff that any player who works hard enough is going to get opportunities and they're going to be given opportunities in the right spot to be able to work and to be able to, to produce with those opportunities. And we've seen that in the running back room with Austin Jones and Raleigh Brown. And we've seen that in receivers with Kyle Ford, with Michael Jackson, with Taj Washington, who are, like we could have thought was done after all of the transfers that came in and you know Jordan Addison coming in over him, Mario Williams coming, to, coming in over him. Taj Washington has also been great this season. And like every player who has been given snaps has put something for it in this offense. Yeah, and like we talked about giving Austin Jones his respect, and he should absolutely get it. He deserves it. But let's also give Lincoln Riley some respect because this game – his genius was on full display. Like, this was absolutely a testament to Lincoln Riley's greatness as a coach and as an offensive mind. Like, for any, like, go back, watch those highlights, and watch just some of the plays he draws up. Because, like, everyone's, everyone's talking about the one where Jordan Addison was essentially, like, hidden in the backfield to get the, the matchup with the linebacker out on the outside, which was an amazing play. But, Austin Jones' second touchdown run was just beautiful to watch. He lines him up, eye form with the with the dual blockers in the backfield, uh, flanking Caleb, and immediately off the snap, both fullbacks immediately vacate to the right side of the field, look like they're running the stretch concept. With them, both linebackers do exactly what they're taught. They follow the fullbacks, follow the blocks, and go to plug the hole on the stretch. And what does Lincoln Riley draw up? Delayed halfback dive. Austin Jones walks right in for the one of the easiest eight-yard touchdowns I've ever seen. So his play design is insane. He's a genius, an offensive genius, and I think there were definitely some coaches out there watching this game, taking notes on on some of the stuff he's drawn up and adding it to their playbooks. Very well said, Kyle. I think Lincoln Riley, so fundamental to this offense, to this team. He's put it together so fast, exceeded expectations so fast in this first year as head coach of the Trojans, USC defeated UCLA 48-45. Now let's look ahead because this is a game next week. USC is going to play against the highest ranked team so far this year, Notre Dame, number 13. It will be played in the Coliseum. It has major implications for college football playoff. We've already punched our ticket to Las Vegas. We will play in the Pac-12 championship. But now that it's real, it's almost tangible, our chances to to make it to Georgia, that is insane. So, but number 13, Notre Dame coming into the Coliseum, it's going to rock some stuff because Notre Dame has been red hot, right? They, they know how to run. They have a very veteran core. It's going to, it's going to be a tight game. And we know just like in the UCLA game, this is going to be as run heavy. They're going to play to our weaknesses just the same as the Bruins tried to. And again, I do think it's going to come down to Caleb Williams. Can he? Does he have one more in him? Does he have it in him to get us to the college football playoff? Because realistically, how it's going to play out, Michigan and Ohio State will play against each other. One of them has to lose. And if it's enough to knock them out, or if TCU has something happen to them, we are in, baby. First year under Lincoln Riley, making it to the college football playoff. It is one game away, but we cannot take it for certain. 
This game is going to be the toughest for USC without a doubt. The matchup is insane and the run game for Notre Dame, it's been solid all year. They beat people. They run on 60% of their plays. They're super well coached. They're a blue blood. They know how to play ball. I don't know what we're going to see out of Lincoln Riley, like you talked about, Kyle, I think we might see something special because we need to have a unique game plan for next Saturday or else our hopes of college football playoff, they're over. But man, we could not be in a better position first year under Lincoln Riley. Again, props to him. But this Saturday, what do we think? What do we know about Notre Dame? Yeah, Notre, Notre Dame has quietly put together a really good season after their, their, a rough start to the Marcus Freeman era and like... You know, let's not sugarcoat it. The the loss to Marshall at home, really bad, and, and a team that really underperformed. And you know, even going back to last year in their bowl game, in their first three or four games under Marcus Freeman, did not look good. Did not look like he really had control of the team. They were not living up to par, not living up to expectations. But since everybody wrote him off, and you know, I like I loop myself in there. I think most people wrote him off. They've quietly put together a really good season, and. You know, obviously coming in 13 ranked team, uh, you know, Drew Pine, especially, I think after that, that viral video of the OC really, really giving it to him from up in the booth, he's really turned it around. The whole team's turned around and just playing really solid football overall. Just a lot of contributors. It's not, I don't, it doesn't really ride on one guy. One guy doesn't make or break this team, doesn't make or break this offense. And they all just kind of do their jobs. And in a way, they really do play Notre Dame football. They all, they do what they're supposed to, they do their job, and they do it really well. And it's not one guy, one star carrying the team. It's every single person chipping in and doing what they're supposed to do. I think it's, you know, as we're saying, this is a Notre Dame team that's really hitting its stride right now. I mean, they, they just beat Boston College 44-0. to zero. Boston College is not the cream of the crop of college football, but a shutout in Division One football is an impressive thing no matter who you're playing against. So this is going to be the toughest defense that we've played all season, I think. Um, and then on the opposite side of the ball, I'm a little bit worried about Michael Meyer. He's one of the best tight ends uh, in college football up there with, with Brock Bowers. And last time USC played a team that really liked throwing it to their tight end, Utah, Dalton Kincaid, he absolutely torched USC. Um, so if you know, Notre Dame sees that as something to exploit and gives Michael Meyer you know, 10 targets maybe in this game, that could be uh, really dangerous, especially, especially when... Um, Eric Gentry is still kind of coming back from injury. He wasn't. He was in the UCLA game, um, but he wasn't super involved. And his his size can be a really uh, great weapon for USC in, in preventing other teams from exploiting them in the past. And so Eric Gentry is going to have to be you know back to to full fitness and uh, really on his A game. I think this weekend if Notre Dame decides to really use Michael Meyer to try and undermine USC. 100%. I think that parallel that's very well said with Myers to uh, maybe Kincaid. They're a very physical team. They'll beat you up. They will. It's a war of attrition, right? They, they're they going to break you down. And us playing in the nickel, it's going to get tough with the, the backs. If they get into open space, getting someone to the ground, there could be a lot of big plays. Like I said, I think the matchup, it's scary, but it's doable. USC is done. They have done crazier things this season, as, as we saw on Saturday. Again, I just want to reiterate what's at stake this Saturday. We could still play either Washington, Utah, or Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, but the Ducks are the most likely if they win, they're in. In the college football playoff sphere, USC is ranked number five behind number four, TCU, number three, Michigan, and number two, Ohio State. I would go as far to say Georgia's pretty much punched their ticket no matter what happens next week or maybe in the 
SEC championship. I don't think too much would happen there. USC, they will play Notre Dame next Saturday in the Coliseum. We hope you guys come out to support. I think that about wraps it up for this edition of Talkin' Troy. We talked a little UCLA, previewed this Notre Dame game, and we will be back next week, post-game Notre Dame. Hopefully we have amazing news for our Trojans. Fight on.